Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, August 16th edition of the Rubble Report. September, Brian. Uh, yeah, uh, excuse me. I don't know where I got August from. I'm moving a little slow this morning. Anyway, September. Uh, Ole Miss beat Southeastern Louisiana 40-29 to in a game that was pretty rough on the eyes. It took forever uh, we'll get into that some. A lot of college football stuff. A packed show today. Some NFL. What's up? Not much. Not much. It was it was not a beauty pageant on Saturday in Paul Hemingway Stadium. Put it lightly. Yeah, it was. It was something. I mean, it, it they they won the game, but their deficiencies and the two most I would say two or three most glaring deficiencies they have on the roster reared their ugly head again. Ole Miss has opened as a two-point underdog to Cal. That seems incredibly small, uh, given what Cal has done through, throughout this year. I know they struggled week one, but they went on the road and beat Washington. Ole Miss hasn't really beaten anyone with the pulse, although Arkansas did score a couple of touchdowns late to make that score against Colorado State, who is not very good, look a little better. But, yeah, I was surprised by that line. We'll get into that some, some other college football stuff. There wasn't really a whole lot of drama i guess per se when you talk about on the grand scheme of things if you're talking about the national landscape of college football nfl week two i guess getting right into it Ole Miss won but they gave up 300 yards passing to an fcs school and that said fcs school had 11 tackles for loss the offensive line was awful yeah they didn't play well uh, on the offensive line i didn't think that the play calling necessarily helped them out. Uh, Selah loaded the box and went man on Ole Miss's receivers, and Ole Miss just kind of kept running into it. Now, in saying that, Ole Miss should still be able to run the football successfully against that front, against the FBS team. But, uh, you know, both can be true at the same time. Uh, the secondary wasn't great, but, I mean, the secondary kind of is what it is, but I think some credit has to be given to, and I know this people are hesitant to do this. I think Southeastern Louisiana has pretty good skill players. Are they SEC-level skill players? No. Um, but I think they're pretty good, and, and they just made plays over Ole Miss, and, and sometimes that happens. If you're Ole Miss, you got out with a win. Uh, that's all that matters. And, and you have what I think is probably one of, if not the biggest games of Matt Luke's tenure on, on Saturday. Yeah, I I mean, their, their offense, what – Selah's offense was competent in the sense that they had a, a, a quite a few Division One bounce backs. The quarterback was a D1 bounce back from Fresno State. The backup quarterback that they brought in for like two plays was Cole Kelly, if you'll remember from that game from Arkansas last year, had to come in when, I forget whatever the first kid's name was, got hurt. Ty Story. Ty Story got hurt. And so Ole Miss, he had to come in at the end of that game. Their running back was a uh, D1 bounce back from Indiana. They had a couple receivers that could do some different things. They were competent offensively, but Ole Miss not being able to block their defensive front is really just alarming if you're an Ole Miss, like if you're an Ole Miss fan. That is, yep. uh, that is not good. And the thing about the offensive line is there's no reinforcements coming. They are what they are. And if they're going to be bad, 
then Ole Miss is going to have a long year. Because, like, as complicated as football, and I said this after the game in the Periscope or whatever, it's as complicated as, like, football is and, like, all these different things. If you can't, like, block the people in front of you, you're not going to have success. And so I don't really know what Ole Miss is going to do about this going forward because a 280-pound freshman left tackle was arguably the best lineman on the field, and that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, he actually played pretty well from what I could could gather but I mean other than that I mean there was there was leakage in the backfield all day long uh Scotty Phillips and Jerry and Ely were having to make people miss in the backfield and look mate, sometimes you just don't play well but when that collective unit plays as poorly as they did on Saturday I mean it, it's a glaring issue um especially a week after you thought they played pretty well against Arkansas maybe Arkansas's defensive line is atrocious I think I'm starting to lean towards that it's uh I'm not going to call it dire, but you're, you're going to find out pretty much. Look, this defense they're going to play on Saturday is the best defense they've seen all year. Um, they've got to give Matt Corral time because the secondary is filled with a, with pretty good to elite level defenders. It's a top like ten secondary a, in college football. Do what? It's a top ten secondary oh, in college absolutely. football. Yeah, and and Matt Corral is going to have to be smart with a football. And he's going to have to have time to make plays. And they're going to have to run the football. Because if Ole Miss can't run the football against that secondary, they have no prayer. So it, this week's going to be telling from that, that perspective. I mean, it, it is what it is. If this offensive line plays poorly on Saturday, Ole Miss will lose by, and I'm not kidding, they will lose by 28 points. Yeah, and it was interesting watching the, the game on Saturday because – not only they couldn't block him, Matt Corral got sacked three times. Selah had 11 tackles for loss, was constant, I say constantly, was in Ole Miss's backfield a pretty good bit. But Corral is also it, it, the bad offensive line. What's, in, what's interesting is I keep getting texts from people during games. It's like, does Corral suck? Can this kid actually play? And stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know. I'd like to have a full, a full season's worth of data before making a sweeping judgment on a 19 year old redshirt freshman quarterback. But if you're trying to, it's been as we keep saying, it's been a long time since Ole Miss has tried to bring a young quarterback along and develop him for you know multiple years at a time, two, three years at a time, and it's not helping his development at all that the offensive line is so bad. He has a, he has plenty. That's not a hundred percent on their shoulders. He holds the ball too long sometimes. His decision-making isn't great, and he's not always accurate with the ball. And I thought both of those things were the case on some of the throws he made against Southeastern Louisiana. And even when he made the right decision, sometimes it was too late. There were a couple of throws where, yeah, the like the read was there, but it wasn't there because he held on to it too long. Like you got to make the decision quicker. But I guess my overall point in all of this is his development is not being made any easier by the offensive line being bad. No, absolutely not. Um, it, it, look, does he need to play better? Yes. Does the offensive line give, need to give him more help? Yes. And, and like I said a while ago, both can be true at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, I thought Corral was fine on Saturday. His stat line would tell you actually that he was really good. Um, there were some poor decisions, though. The, the fumble was unacceptable. The ball security has to be better, or Ole Miss is going to get killed. Uh, well, he had he had two, and one of them he got blindsided and couldn't see it, and the other one I think is the one you're talking about where you can't really fumble there, particularly that deep in your own goal line. Right, yeah. Um, he was 21 of 30 for like three, 260 or so with two touchdowns. I mean, statistically, two. that's good. Just I, I got it pulled up right here, not to well actually I just I have the stats pulled up. Twenty one thirty, two thirty nine, two touchdowns, no interceptions, but two fumbles. 
yeah, and you'll take the, the everything except the fumbles. I mean, that, that's a solid performance. But it's just to the point where, I mean, he's got to play better. Ole Miss has to protect him more. Or they're not going to win many more football games. It, it's really that simple. I mean, they, they could lose every football game from now on except New Mexico State if he doesn't play better and the offensive line doesn't play better. I think that's just kind of the situation they're in right now. Yeah, I'm just not sure how, where the – like, as far as this – Mike McIntyre has been upset with the secondary the last couple of weeks with the way they tackled and the way they played some. They have enough talent and enough bodies back there for that to improve. But as far as the offensive line goes, there's nothing – like, I don't know what else they're going to do. I mean, you're just riding with the guys you got. I mean, the guy behind Eli Johnson's Bryce Ramsey, unless you're moving Ben Brown there – the the two guards you I mean you they don't trust Chandler Tuit or Jalen Cunningham. Nick Broker's a freshman and he's I going think, he's going to I continue to play more. Figure out a way to get your best five offensive linemen on the field, right? I like, think they I already have it. That's I, that's kind of my point. Their best five in some combination, whether it's Broker or Howard, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Broker is on the field. They're just not good. Well, Alex Givens. Uh, Broker and and Ben Brown all have to be on the field at the same time. I yeah, would agree, but Ben Brown didn't play very well. On I'd be no, interested he, to see on he the. Didn't, but I'll take his I'll take his fourteen game sample size over. I, I'll I'll cut him a little slack. No, that's uh, fine. But that's kind of what I'm saying is their best five are on the field, and then it's not like even that is not that good. It's not it's sure. not good. But I but I think they've been rotating Givens and, and Broker, and I think at some point you just got those guys have to play. Like those are your dudes. Uh, and, you, and you can't really rotate them, which is problematic from an offensive line perspective, but you're going to get killed if, if you're playing guys that just simply can't play at an SEC level. Um, and I think that's what, what's happening right now. So, And, and it's hard to get up too much on the offense when they scored 40 points, um, but they couldn't run the football. Elijah Moore made plays. Um, I guess if there was any positives, I mean, Dontario Drummond had three catches. I guess they did find a little receiving depth, and Jerry and Ely played well. Um, but it was tough to look at, uh, at at Saturday as a positive, to be sure. Ten players caught passes. Yeah. Elijah Moore, again, had seven catches for 88 yards. That's In a touchdown, that's two weeks in a row he's had seven catches. That's not really a surprise. He's Matt Corral's. Go-to guy, I guess, per se, for the lack of a butter, dead cliche or overused cliche. Jonathan Mingo had three catches for 25 yards. Ontario Drummond had a pair of catches. So did Pellerin. Pellerin had a touchdown. Scotty Phillips, Demarcus Gregory, Cooley, Battle, and Knight, and Ely all had one reception. I thought Jason Pel- Jason Pellerin's looked pretty good through four games, or three games. I... I think there was a little bit of concern about his hands going into the year, or at least I thought so, and he's looked really good. Ole Miss's tight ends have played pretty well through three games, which is good. I am a little surprised that they haven't been used a little bit more. I mean, it's not a long-go situation where you forget Dawson Knox is on the roster, but as much two-tight end stuff they ran in camp, and they've they've still run a decent bit of two-tight end formations, but I, I don't know, as, as solid as Pellerin and... And Cooley have been. I'm a little bit more surprised they haven't been used in the passing game. Some of that just may be simply Corral's decision making. I don't necessarily know. I'd be interested to find out. I'll probably ask today. But at least I guess at least they got two or three more guys involved in catching passes. I mean, with Mingo caught a pass, mile, or a couple of miles battle caught a pass, Drummond again. But there still wasn't necessarily enough there for somebody 
to like, there wasn't enough of a performance from anyone outside of Moore to be like, okay, they have a second receiver now, or I guess a third receiver, because you assume Braylon Sanders is going to be that guy when he comes back, if he comes back this week. I, I'm not sure on that. That's still very much up in the air. But there still wasn't enough shown there to where you're like, oh, that's that's going to be their other receiver. Yeah, I mean, no. Is, is there a clear cut number two? No. Um, but it was it was more spare out than. Uh, you know, the past two games, you had guys that, that you were able to get the football to. So, I mean, at least from that perspective, I mean, somebody beside Elijah Moore made a play. Um, but, look, I don't think they got accomplished what they wanted to on Saturday. Matt was visibly frustrated after the game. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say in a press conference how frustrated you are when you won the football game, but it was obvious he was not happy with his team's performance. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see on Saturday just how good this team is. I, I think Saturday is, is, you know, we talked a lot about Memphis being a barometer and that type of thing. I really think Saturday is going to be when you find out what you are. You're, you're a two-point underdog at home uh, against the Cal team that's pretty good. Has already won on the road at number 12, Washington. I I think this is going to be telling for the rest of the season. If Ole Miss can win this football game, yeah, there's a pass the ball eligibility. Ole Miss can also lose this football game by 21 and the rest of the season can be miserable. I think they're both barometers. Like, I, 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 it's weird to call the – not weird. It's a little more difficult to call the Memphis game a barometer for how good they are going to be because it is the first game, t- you know, that we talked this into the ground going into Cal Week, but two new coordinators, uh, an entirely new offensive personnel essentially, blah, blah, blah. You get my point. But it was, in some ways, a gauge, okay, what do they look like? What is their potential? How good or bad are they going to be? I think this is another one. You've had two games You, you had two games that you were both supposed to win. You you won them both on the scoreboard, technically. Of course, this past week was, was whatever you want to call it, not a very good performance from Ole Miss. But, yeah, I think this is another barometer, per se. I think it's more offensively because I think the defense – I don't know if you're going to be able to gauge much from this again because I don't think Cal is very good offensively. I think they're okay. And so what's interesting about it from a defensive perspective is we I keep saying it'll be like I'm I'll be more interested about this Ole Miss defense when they play an offense with the pulse. The problem with that is the first time they play an offense with the pulse might be Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Um and and that's not gonna be pretty because your offense is gonna go three and out and give you short fields all day. Um, and but I don't really even know if that's fair. Yeah, but so, so but on the to your point on the def, on the offensive side of the ball, this is definitely a barometer. This is this is a really good defense. Can you move the ball on them? Can you score points? Can you block them? Which I guess is if if you can't do that, everything else is moot. So yeah, yeah I mean, can you block them? And then you want to talk about how far Corral's decision making's come? And if last week is any indication, it hasn't progressed much so far. Again. You're three games into a very, very young and raw, young career, raw talent, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. it, 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 if it's gonna, if it's, if there's any signs that it's gotten better, it'll either show or show that it has in the past week because Cal's secondary will will definitely highlight mistakes. Look, I wasn't there on Saturday, and uh, you may not have seen it, or this may not be true. I was told by somebody that was sitting on a near Ole Miss sideline that at some point Grant Tisdale was getting loose on Saturday. 
He was. So it was in the third quarter, but that was after Corral got lit up on that fumble. Okay. So okay. I, 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 he didn't go into the medical tent or anything, but he was kind of walking around without his helmet off on the sideline. Tisdale was warming up, and I think I, I think that was more – I don't want to speculate, and I should have asked this after the game, but it just kind of got lost in, in everything else. I've, uh, I've got to get better about like when I have something burning, just writing it down on my notepad. But I think that had more to do with the hit that he took and him maybe like seeing stars for a second, whatever you know, you know, kind of being woozy because he did get he got hit pretty hard on that fumble. I think yep. it was more so a product of that than them contemplating a a move because of poor performance. Because at that juncture in the game, it wouldn't have necessarily made a ton of sense. And if it weren't injury related, why warm him up and then be like, "Nah, actually, just kidding." <laughs> no, it's certainly fair. I just, I just thought it was interesting that he got up and got hot. I didn't. Yeah, no, that I, definitely I was, happened. Yeah, I was listening on radio when the fumble happened. I saw it uh, on the highlight, and that's how I was able to see kind of what happened there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, look, Mac Corral has got to play the best game of his career on Saturday. No, look, it's it's his fourth game of his career. That's not, you know, a too terribly high mark. But Ole Miss has got to give him time. If Ole Miss has to throw the football quickly all day long because they can't watch the defense a lot, they have no prayer. Um, the secondary is too good. They'll make plays all day. So if, if Matt Crowell is inaccurate down the field, they have no prayer. Um, he, they're going to have to beat him over the top. So that's just the way it is. That I don't. I think that this, this game on Saturday is going to be so telling in so many ways. Um, Look, if you win it, nobody cares that you beat Selah by 11. Uh, I mean, who cares? You, you're three To a degree, no one really cared if you were going to beat Arkansas, too, to add on to that. Like, not yeah. not that nobody cared. In terms of buying in the fan base, that Arkansas game was, if, if from a fan base perspective, is, okay, we're either going to keep one foot on or this whole thing's going overboard with the loss. Like, that didn't really do much to, to, to help public favor as beating Arkansas. It just avoided disaster, to add on sure. to what you were saying. But when on Saturday... And you're three and one, and anybody with a rational mind had you offered them three and one before the year takes it, right? Yeah, but we talked about that at length throughout the summer, throughout the spring, uh, leading up into the game. If they were going to get into, if they were going to have any path or prayer to bowl eligibility, they had to get out of this first month, first four games, whatever you want to call it, because Memphis was technically in August. You had to get out at no worse than three and one, and so if they do accomplish that and if they do beat Cal it's no harm no foul you're kind of on serve holding serve whatever metaphor you want to use and there is a path to a bowl game you beat Vanderbilt you beat New Mexico State and then you beat someone you're not technically supposed to and I say that you're not technically supposed to so much can change throughout the course of a year as you've seen in the last couple years in college football so you never know but if you lost to Memphis and Cal you really had no prayer and they, I would argue they've honestly made it a little bit harder on themselves because I think if you were if in a vacuum, if you're looking at the two games, I get, particularly knowing what you know now, Memphis was probably the easier game to try to win, even though you get Cal at home. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Um, I, I think it's about the same. Um, you know, there. Look. I don't. I don't necessarily understand the line, but Vegas also isn't in, in the business of losing money. That line is what it is for a reason. Um, so I, I think they're about the same. You got to win one of them. If you don't win one of them, you, you, you kind of set yourself up for failure. If you go one and one against Memphis and Cal, everybody's happy. 
Um, you go into you go into this you know hellacious part of the SEC stretch where you're going to beat New Mexico State. You got to find two more. Uh, obviously, the most likely candidates are Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. Can you win both of them? I don't know, but we'll see. Um, Saturday's a must win. Like I, I don't like using that term, um, but if we're talking about bowl uh, possibilities, there's no possibility to me with a loss on Saturday. There's no possibility at all. I mean, yeah, okay, sure. They lose to Cal, and they like I eat my words or whatever, and they upset somebody. But I don't, I don't see how that's even remotely possible if they lose to Cal. If you can't beat Cal on your home field. Exactly. How are you winning at Missouri? How are you beating Texas A&M? So we'll get we'll get into Cal later in the week. But another, you were talking, we were talking about Matt Corral and how this is going to test his decision making and really make him. He's going to have to play his best game. Do they have the receiving core to do it? Elijah Moore is pretty good, but they struggled to get separation against Memphis. How in the world are they going to get open against this secondary? That's certainly fair. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, Elijah Moore is going to get taken away. I, Kyle's good enough to do that. They'll bracket him, and it'll be a long day for him because they're just not going to let Ole Miss beat them with Elijah Moore. I would uh, agree so. with that. It'll be a little more difficult to do in the slot because you can do some different things, but I would agree. Somebody else has got to be good. They need Braylon Sanders back. Yeah, that would help. Another thing about this game – I. <laughs> I'm going to sound ridiculous here, but you're still not very far removed from a defense that literally couldn't get off the field no matter no matter the situation, no matter what happened. And for as bad as they got gashed and through the air, Dante Evans making the pick, and it was an awful throw, but them making a play to get off the field when Selah was driving at 37-29 to 29 is at least something, right? Yeah, I mean, them sure. making a play and getting a turnover when they had to is not nothing because they were so bad last year that it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, how what South, South, Southern Illinois put up thirty eight and a half on them? Like that's the kind yeah. of gauge you're like that's where you're starting from, I guess. In the sense, if you're talking about if they're improved again, I don't know how improved the defense actually is. I'll think in the next month when you play the Alabama's, LSU's of the world, you'll kind of or LSU's in November. But you get my point. When you get in the SEC schedule, you have a better idea. But at least they made a play to get off the field, I guess. I mean, they did turn it. Did they turn them over three, four times? Oh, ooh, excuse me. Um, I got four, it. Four, I think. They had three interceptions. I know that. And they had a fumble on a kickoff. Southeast yep. Louisiana. <laughs> Fumbled four times and only lost one. Well, that's got bad luck uh, for Ole Miss. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so at least they made a play to get off the field. I mean, they had a couple turnovers. So Mike McIntyre was talking about this. I found this interesting after the game, and I'll probably write about it at some point this week. But he was talking about on the things where he didn't like the way they were recovering because in the secondary, no matter who you're playing, in Southeast Louisiana had a decent amount of speed. You're going to get behind guys, but how do you recover and stay on them? And he pointed out a good example was that was the Miles Hartsfield play, the first pass that Southeast Louisiana threw. He got a step behind that guy, but he kind of made up for it, got his hand in there, and then was able to pick it off. But there were a couple times where they got behind the guy, and then the dude just got loose. Another thing that was bad about the secondary, it didn't end up hurting Ole Miss earlier in the game because the Chasten Virgil, Chasten Virgil, whatever the kid's name for Southeastern Louisiana, didn't hit them. But there were a couple major coverage busts early in the game that Southeastern Louisiana just missed. I mean, there were two yep. or three where it was 2018-esque, where it's like, oh, holy cow, there's no one within 25 yards of that guy. Yep, yep. And then if he hits them, they walk in, and you're talking about a whole different ballgame. Um, but he didn't, and, and Ole Miss got out there alive. But, uh, you know, two was tackling got on him. Two was going to hit that back. Uh, Joe Burrow's going to hit that guy. So, 
they got to get better in the secondary. I think the front seven is, is adequate. I think they're pretty good at some time. Um, the secondary is not. It, it has to get better. And, and I think, like you said earlier, I think that's possible with them. I think there's guys there that can get better and go make plays, whereas maybe you know some other issues on the team is their deficiencies just are what they are. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And if nothing else, Jerry Neely was pretty good. <laughs> he took a He's kick electric, to the house. Right? He had a two-play, 82-yard drive by himself. He was good. Yeah, again, it's southeastern Louisiana, but I think as he's learned, as he and Snoop Connor in particular, not learn more of the offense, but get more and more acclimated to the scheme, the system, really just get more acclimated to major college football. In general, they'll continue to get stronger and better. I say stronger, become better runners. But he was, I mean, he flashed that explosiveness. He took that kick where he drifted it. I guess he drifted right a little bit and cut it back left. And once he kind of got up, turned the corner towards the sideline, he outran three or four guys. I mean, he he has explosive speed. I don't think that's breaking news to anybody. And he got asked after the game, uh, what was it he was thinking about as he was running down the sideline on that kick return? And he said, I'm pretty tired, but I better not get caught. And then he somebody somebody asked if you know he said well you don't get caught very often from behind do you and then he kind of looked around he knocked on wood and goes never happened. <laughs> so he's an inter- he's an interesting kid he's pretty funny but so that was good you know he Ole Miss is if for all their problems offensively and not being able to block a guy they've run block anyone they've run the ball okay for the last two games I would argue in the second half they ran it pretty good against Memphis the first half was a disaster. But they're—I don't think it, it should be taken lightly that their ability to run teams down, da- wear teams down with the way they hit hit them with different types of backs is is going to be invaluable if they can block people. Yeah, because I mean, Sue Connor had the run to end the game on Saturday. Well, yeah, so that—that's what I was kind of getting at. Is Scotty Phillips twenty-six carries, one hundred and three yards? Ely had nine carries instead of Snoop Connor. Again, that's the second game in a row where you've kind of seen the carries dispersion be more like what they had in. Visioned it going into the season. Memphis, of course, it got all out of whack because the offense only ran 53 plays. We talked about that at length. That's not really what they wanted to, to feature as far as de- carries and how they divvied it up. But what's been interesting is the last two games, Snoop Connor hasn't played much in the first couple of quarters, and then they pretty much fed him in the fourth quarter because Connor had nine carries in this game, and eight of them came on the final drive. Jesus. So it's, um, and I, I keep I asked Ely about that after the game, and I think I asked Richrod last week, and neither one of them would give me a straight answer, which was kind of annoying. But I was just like, "Is that by design? Like, are you taking? Like, are you like, not the proverbial closer, whatever like stupid term you want to phrase it? But it can't be by accident that Connor's come in the fourth quarter of both games and finish the game off. I wonder, and and you may know. Um, I wonder how much say Richrod has. I'm sure he has full say, but. I wonder how much Derek Nix is responsible for the rotation of those guys and, and what and how he, he does it. I feel like he's got a lot of say and pull in that room uh, about who's going to get how many carries in what game. I, I mean, I'm sure he has some say in it, and some of it's probably just riding the guy who's hot. Like, Ely got more carries. I'm sure some of that it's southeastern Louisiana, and you don't want to tax Scotty Phillips' mileage too much against an opponent like that. But I think a part of the reason Ely got more touches is because he broke a thirty yarder and a fifty yarder. Like I, I think so. I think some of that plays into it as well. Sure. Yeah. 
So um, it, they can't block anyone, but they've run the ball okay despite it for the last two games. And if the offensive line just gets some degree of competency, they have the running backs to be a really efficient running offense. But again, if you don't block anyone, it's uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, they got three. They got two guys I think are going to play NFL football, and I wouldn't be shocked if there's a third uh, in the running back room. So it, they got dudes back there, but yeah, like you said, they got to start getting some hats on people, or it's not really going to matter. Yeah, another thing that Jerry Neely, I noticed this through two games, he's graded out as the highest back pass blocking wise, which you don't necessarily see from a freshman a lot. And I still think Scotty Phillips is the best pass blocking running back they have on the team. But for Ely to do that through three games, and again, that's part of that is because he's played limited snaps or whatever. So if he's playing well, his grade's probably a little higher. But I, I found that interesting because you don't see that with freshmen a lot. I didn't look to see what Snoop Connors was, but I found that to be interesting. So they're pretty good at the running back position. If if the two biggest things on offense outside of Corral's decision making, which I'm not sure how much of a leap that's going to take, you know, in on a game by game basis, but if they can get competent on the offensive line and get one or two more receivers, they'll be okay. But again, those are two gigantic ifs because I don't know where the reinforcements are coming from on the offensive line. So. I'm trying to think if I had anything else from that game. There, uh... No, I mean, Luke Logan made a kick late in the game, but also missed one. I, I don't... Think, how, what do you think Luke Logan's range is? He's never really kicked and made one from beyond, like, 44. What do you think they trust him up to? 45. 45. Do you think if they're on the 30-yard line down two next week, with five seconds left for a forty-seven yard field goal, they're not trying it. I know. I don't think it's that hard of a. I don't think it's like. I don't think it's that hard of a. Like hard of a line. Like I mean, if they had to try it, hell yeah, they would try it. But if they have like, if there's an option to do something else, then maybe. I his career long is forty, and he made yeah. that in twenty eighteen. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is I don't know how good they are in that department right now. Well, he made 81% of his kicks last year. Sure. No, inside of 40, he's a, he's very, very good. Um, I don't know if he's missed inside of 40. But I don't know how much length they're going to be able to get out of him either. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss was spoiled with Gary Wunderlich for a while. Yeah. And, I mean, they've had good kickers. You go back for a while. Josh Sheen, Bryson Rose, Gary Wunderlich. I mean... They've been really, really good in that department for a long time. Of course, typical college SID stuff. They don't put how far he missed from. Anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. That was I'm trying to think of – I'm going through, like, the notes that I had throughout the game. I don't have a whole lot. Jacquez Jones played well again. He had six tackles. Again, they're going to miss the hell out of Mohamed Sanogo, but I think I thought they were okay linebacking-wise. They fared well against the run again, against a bounce-back Division One running back. They held – Southeastern Louisiana to 66 yards. Now, Selaw had a couple, busted a couple of long runs after they got down near the red zone because of the passing game. But, I mean, that, that Williams kid was at 3.5, 3.7 yards per carry, 13 touches, 50 yards. They were okay, and the I mean, Ole Miss was okay against the run again, which is a good sign, I think, because, again, last year they were absolutely atrocious against the run. So that was, that was another good sign for them. As far as that, as far as that takeaway from this game, again, pretty much what I wrote was that they yeah, they won the game, but their two most glaring deficiencies kind of reared their ugly heads again. It being the defense and 
it was mostly the secondary instead of the run defense that I just hit on, and the offensive line that they can't block anybody. And I don't see, I don't see one of those issues going away anytime soon. I guess is a matter of how much Ole Miss can mitigate it and and get by being competent. Because I would argue that they did it in the second half against Memphis and were okay, and then did to an extent against Arkansas. Again, I don't know how good Arkansas's defensive line is. But it showed again against a, a, a team talent-wise and up front, they should have been much better then. Or they were yep. much better then, and they should have played much better than they did. Yep, uh, certainly agree there. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I, I guess we'll, you know, Saturday's really all that matters. I mean, that game's huge for Matt Luke, huge for this program. And, and if they win it, man, they're, they're on a pretty good path. If they lose it, it's, it's got a possibility to be a real long season. And I'm sure we'll get into that, you know, over the course of the week. But uh, it's all about Saturday. And, and, you know, look, you got out of there alive on, sa- on this previous Saturday against Southeastern Louisiana. That's all that matters. They're going to put a win on the, on, on the record, and, and that's all that matters for you. Um, and beauty points don't really matter when you're trying to get six wins. So the, the issues are what they are. They'll either get them addressed or not, and, and Saturday will tell all. Yep. And I guess elsewhere, I guess we're moving around elsewhere in college football. I didn't. There wasn't a whole lot of drama, really. Uh, Florida escaped by the skin of their teeth against Kentucky. Felipe Franks got hurt, which kind of sucks. I I didn't see the injury. I was getting home from work as that was kind of happening. I, I heard it was pretty gruesome. It was a dislocated ankle. Yeah, it, it was. It was Treadwell's injury, basically. Ooh. Yeah. That didn't sound good. Yeah, it, it was not. They didn't show the replay for this one, thank God. I saw something. One of the Florida beat reporters that I follow said something about Brian Greasy talking about off the field issues with Felipe Franks, which apparently is just. That, he did say something like that, yeah. And it's just never like that's apparently not like that. Nothing. A thing. Yeah, apparently that's just not a thing. I that you hate that. Okay, so I have a theory here, and I wanted to. If Ole Miss played Florida this year, I'd get our good friend Will Salmon on this podcast and. I would have asked him about this because I thought about this once I heard that. Why is he – that has to be the most criticized quarterback in college football. And I get that he was a five-star and that hasn't necessarily lived up to the hype, but college football is hard. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not breaking any news there. And he's been okay, of course, not up to the five-star hype. But why is he so I, – I hate to sound like a 19-year-old Gen Xer, but like, why is he so hated on? What, what other quarterback in the country, even if there were real off-the-field issues, what other quarterback in the country would have that brought up as he's on the ground writhing in pain from a leg injury? Like, I don't understand that. That's bizarre to me. Why, I don't why is he, he so critiqued? During the injury. Um, but, yeah, he, he certainly mentioned it during the game. But, yeah, I don't get the Frank Tate. Because, look, like you said, he's not that great. He's also not terrible. Like, there is another line. five-star quarterback that plays for a amazing blue team that hasn't been that great, <laughs> that doesn't get half the criticism. Yes, I'm not saying Shea Patterson goes uncriticized, but you get what my point. I don't understand that at all. And He, he has to be Frank the most Tate. criticized quarterback in the country. Jacob Eason lost to Cal last week. Like, what, in, what are we talking about here? <laughs> Let me pull up Frank's stats from Saturday. He was pretty good, if I remember correctly, before he got hurt. Uh, yeah, 12 of 17 for 174 yards, a touchdown, and an interception at a quarterback rating of uh, that's not on him. But uh, he was okay. I, I don't, I don't like you said. I mean, he, he's extremely disliked by pretty much everyone, and it really doesn't make much sense to me. 
Um, he didn't get any help, you know, with, with McElwain throwing him in there as a true freshman. And now, he's, you know, he doesn't get the redshirt year. He switches systems. Look, the, the arm strength is there. I, I don't get it. Um, it. It is what it is. It's college football year. There's, there's going to be some grief to come with the being the quarterback at the University of Florida. But, yeah, it just kind of feels over the top with him. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for the kid. And yeah, he's still sure. only a junior, right? So he's only a junior, right? Yes, yes. He'll be uh, he'll be a junior next year. He'll be a redshirt junior next year because he only played two games this year. That's interesting because it felt like he's already been there for a long time. <laughs> and he's been critiqued like he's been a senior. I mean, he's like, like – this is like – it's like Bo Wallace on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good comp, it feels like. Uh, but, yeah, just a tough situation for him. I hated that for him. Because, uh, like I said, he was playing pretty well. Uh, and give, I guess, Florida credit. They, they they rallied around him and came back and won the football game. Now, Kentucky aided with that. But um, that, was, that, that was impressive to get out of there with a win once your quarterback goes down. So does, I guess can, does Kentucky win the game if that kid makes the kick? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would think because like I know everybody's gonna say, well, Florida scored anyways. Yeah, but that's a little bit different. Like the kid broke a tackle and went and scored. I, I don't, I don't. They're not running the football that there with you know down two with thirty seconds left. So yes, if the kid makes the kick, I think Kentucky wins that football game. State lost to Kansas State. I watched some of this game, and coincidentally enough, I do a halftime Q and A on Twitter with regards to Ole Miss, and the first or in a post game periscope, and the first like three questions I got were like, "Why won't Moorhead do right? What's wrong with State?" It's like, ah, that's a that's the wrong Brian. I, I don't really have much to do with that. <laughs> I I will give my very non expert opinion on that. Uh, one, there is no way Tommy Stevens was fully healthy in that game. And no. okay, I'm going to use this as a as a platform to rant on this stupid thing that college coaches do about not disclosing injuries. And and I can say this as someone who covers a coach currently that is very good about it. Matt Luke doesn't hide anything injury wise. And let I me mean, I say doesn't hide anything. He may not always let on to the complete severity of things. But that's any coach in any league. That's all in the TV. NFL. No, he's not. He, I mean, if you ask him, he'll say, yeah, he's got an ankle. He's going to be a game-time decision. Like the, the closest thing Matt Luke does to probably not letting on completely, and this is totally understandable, is him with the Braylon Sanders thing being like, yeah, he was very limited today. He'll be a game-time decision. But if you read between the lines at all, you can tell in the inflection and the tone of his voice, yeah, he's probably not playing. Moorhead and all these other coaches do this stupid thing where they either don't disclose them at all or they say upper body or lower body. What does that help? What in the world does that help? Because anyone on with two eyeballs could see that Tommy Stevens had what? It had to be some kind of shoulder thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, so what does it help for you to go, he's got an upper body, he's got a lower body, we're not going into it, and then throw him out there at 35 40% or whatever, him be not good, and then everyone just kind of be left wondering, well, how healthy is he? What, what is that? That only hurts the kid. And you're not, you're not gaining a strategic advantage by not disclosing it. Everyone with two eyeballs can see it's a shoulder thing. And I'm sure Kansas State took, watched 10 minutes of film to figure out where he got hurt last week and what it was. What does that help? No, I, I'm with you. Um, the, the, kid, the kid wasn't healthy at all. Um, and and, and more what he'll tell you is, well, I, did, I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that Kansas State prepared for Tommy Stevens and Garrett Trader. Dude, they were going to do that anyway. This is Division One college football. Like, 
they're going to watch film on him, even if you say he's out because this is Division One college football. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get that at all. I don't get the the hiding behind the the injury bug. Mullen was terrible about it. He was actually a little. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to call him that, but he would get his feelings hurt when people ask about injuries. It, college coaches, man, that they, they're some of the most interesting people on the face of the planet. I'll just kind of leave it to, leave it at that. I mean, the widespread paranoia is just weird to me. Yeah. I get not letting media view portions of practice where you're doing schematic stuff. I totally understand that. I get Ole Miss not letting media into scrimmages. There's no really reason they should, but the injury thing is just dumb. Like, I don't understand that. So, anyway, State loses the game. I thought the Schrader kid was actually okay. Ooh, I'm going to disagree. I thought, see, he, they moved the ball, in my opinion, a little bit better than they did with Stevens in the game. I mean, yeah, but at the end of the day, the kid was 4 of 12 for, like, 50 yards. Um, I don't know. I, I man, I don't think Moorhead is 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 going to do himself any favors with that fan base if he keeps losing games like that. Um, the problem was, is, is he's the guy after the guy, and you want to be one guy for, removed from the guy. Well, somebody's about to be one guy removed from the guy if he don't start winning football games. They got trouble this week too. Now, look, Kentucky's. All, I think they're a six point underdog. They can give them problems in Starkville this week if they come in there and muddy that thing up. I don't think he can afford to lose that game. I don't think there's much of a world where Moorhead gets fired in his second year. Go 5-7 and seven with a lost Ole Miss. Maybe. I think that's just a really burning hot seat going into year three. I'm thinking barring like 4-8 and eight or something. But, man, if you, that Kentucky game has turned into a really important game for them. I thought Kansas State, I don't want to say dominated the game, but there were multiple points in that game where Kansas State could have gone up multiple scores and really taken control of the game and just peed down their leg. I mean, their special teams was atrocious. Yeah, they had the kickoff return Good. that saved them, but the, the uh, muffed punts, like all of that was just awful. Kansas State, you, all right, just, I, I'm sure you don't know. Guess how many yards they had. Just take a guess. I, could, I don't know. They didn't even get to 300. They had 269. Nice. But um, they didn't even get to 300 yards and put up 31 points. Yeah, I thought they did. I didn't. I think that's probably a little skewed because of the the special teams mishaps and the kicker turn. Like they basically got three possessions taken away. Because when they had the ball, I thought they moved it okay. Like that. That's the definition of we're going to pop you in the mouth and be a power running team. I thought schematically they were pretty good. But to your point, yeah, it's only two hundred sixty nine yards, and you put up that many points. That's uh, that's quite something. But then just you had another. They almost they really had four possessions taken away because you had the interception and then the guy gets clocked by the lineman and fumbles it. Yeah. So yeah. that was a strange game. I don't know. That's that's a tough loss for State to swallow. Like, yeah. I, I I like. Well, they, I think the more glaring issue is that they can't stop the run. Really. I think that and be and that and the their offensive issues. Now, granted, Stevens wasn't healthy. I get all that. Hadn't gone hasn't gone away. They look so good against two really bad teams, two really bad defenses. I guess I should say in the first two games, and then they play a pretty competent defense, and it looks bad. That's again on Moorhead. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. It's uh, it's a tough situation in Starkville, man. Because I don't know if you look at their schedule. They play Kentucky this week, and then it's like Auburn, LSU, A and M, and I don't know how you can project them to win any of those games right now. Yeah, so they go to Tennessee. They'll get a win there, but other than that, I mean, it's it's got a chance to get tough. I, from the very little I saw of it, I thought 
South Carolina performed somewhat admirably, admirably against Alabama. I think Alabama's a little bit more vulnerable defensively than they've been in years past. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. I You could make an argument that they're not the best team in the SEC West. I know, I and if that game were in Baton Rouge this year, as I said last week, that would be one a hell of, a, of an exciting game. I think OSU can still go into Baton and go into uh, Bryant Denny and give them issues, but it's just a whole different beast playing in that stadium versus Death Valley. Sure, it, it absolutely is. But man, from a talent perspective, LSU's got it to compete this year. So it's uh, that game's going to be fascinating this year. I don't think you're looking at a blowout. No, and I don't think you're looking at a pseudo buildup just for the sake of its two name brands that gave us that really badass game in 2011 that time. Like, I think it's actually pretty even. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So, uh, that'll be fascinating. We got we got two months until that happens. So, uh, kind of anything else around the SEC? I'm just looking. Uh, there wasn't a, there was so many like off games. Um, no, not really. LSU had a little bit of a Texas hangover. Sure. And Tennessee got Tennessee's in the win column. Yeah, Tennessee got them a win. They are winless no more. In all seriousness, as far I don't necessarily know if Pruitt's a bad coach yet. I don't know. There's a lot of people squatting on that he's a great recruiter, defensive coordinator, Will Muschamp type take. I don't really know yet. I get why there's maybe some evidence right now to suggest that. Good for them for getting on the right track. There's got some long days ahead of them because that schedule is about to get real. Auburn didn't play anybody. No, Bo Nix played well, though. Who, Georgia. Cool thing in Georgia on Saturday. That was, sure, yeah. For all of college football's issues, that was a pretty cool thing to see. And then, not only that, like the student section's being painted up, and then they gave them whatever those shoulder pads are with the spikes on it that look like weapons. <laughs> he gave yeah. them a pink, he gave Blake Anderson a pink pair of those. That was pretty cool. And anything, there wasn't really anything else in the SEC, was there? No, no, not not to my knowledge. I mean, it was uh, it was pretty down week. Uh, there's a lot of off games. So. USC lost to BYU, and Clay Helton is still the coach as of this recording. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yes, he is. Now, I wonder how much let or leash he gets losing his starting quarterback. I guess, but they had a four way quarterback battle going into the year. Sure, they did. They did, and I think they're looking for any excuse to fire him. I think the fan base wants to fire him. I talked, to, I text back and forth with Antonio a decent bit, and we during the summer he brought up a decent point. He's like, "Oh, USC is a lot more similar to Ole Miss than people want to let it on to be." I'm not saying like that everyone's calling for Matt Luke's head at this point, but they hired an interim guy that people didn't believe was necessarily capable for the job and might be in over his head, and that's both the case there. And so every loss is kind of magnified as, "Oh, this guy can't do it." I mean, uh, and it's USC out there, so it's uh, it's going to be tough if they don't start winning football games. And they got Utah on Friday night, and they're not winning that one. So it's uh, it's our situation out in uh, Los Angeles. You uh, Chip s- Kelly sucks. Like if that that's over. Is it though? It's over, man. They are horrible. I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet because I'm not sure what state the Dude. program was left when Mora left it. Man, he didn't leave them to be this bad. Like, they're a train wreck. There is an argument to be made that Chip Kelly peaked in college football when the 
tempo. I don't want to say when the spread offense was really getting big because, yeah, maybe the spread offense was a little bit newer, but people have been running the spread for a long while now. But the tempo, fast-paced, you know, cool placards with cool signs on it to get the plays in. Chip Kelly kind of peaked when that was all the rage, and now that's far from – I was about to say far from the norm. That is the norm in college football in a lot of ways. Like defenses are not like, hey, what the hell is going on now? It's like, oh, this again this week. Yeah. Um, so gonna gonna be gonna be tough for him to rebound zero and three in a mauling at the hands of Oklahoma. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, the quarterback's bad. The defense is bad. I don't know what you do. That that's got a chance, man. They're zero and three in the they're zero and three. Uh, non-conference they got a chance to go 0 and 9 in the conference man 0 and 12 at ucla that's not a good look poor matt campbell can't beat iowa poor guy and they were probably going to if they get the punt yeah and he's a damn good coach and doing a damn good job with that program but like i'm trying to think about that from an in-state perspective can you imagine if Ole miss was a big like i get basically a dormant program for a decade like consistently for a decade, and then this guy comes in and gets you ranked and has some big wins, but he can't beat Mississippi State. Like that's such a that's such a that's such a conflicting type of deal because there's no way he's like like anywhere close to a hot seat and no. like anything. He's the best coach they've had at that program for a long time. But if you can't beat the school that everyone in that state cares about beating, like that's a really tough dynamic. And like I'm not even necessarily sure like going to fault him for that. To some degree, but like that's that's just to me that's an interesting dynamic from a ten thousand foot view because I know nothing about the inner workings of Iowa football, Iowa State football. But that's an interesting dynamic from ten thousand feet above because it's like, hey, this guy's pretty good, but he can't beat their rival. Which in co- that's the uh, college football is the only sport in the world where that's the case. Where like like it got, like somebody could go to Auburn and go eleven and zero every year, and if they lost to Alabama four years in a row, people would be pissed off. This is the only sport on earth where that would even like remotely factor into anything. <laughs> like like Dan Quinn is not going to get fa- Dan Quinn is not going to get fired if the Falcons go twelve and four with two losses to the Saints. Just doesn't happen. Doesn't work that way. No, he's going to get fired because they're not very good. Maybe um, I don't but, know. Uh, they were they were okay last night, but that game. And we can get to the NFL, I guess. Um, Is there anything else in college football though? Let's. No. I, I've got some. If I'm trying to think, there had to have been something else this weekend. Man, it was a bad week of football. I'm just gonna be honest. It Clemson, not, Clemson looked apart. I'm not sure Syracuse is very good though. Okay, Clemson's bored. That's my theory. Clemson just beat you to sleep. They're bored. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I mean, but we'll. Who who no one who is giving them a run for their money in that conference because the only Nobody. team on the schedule was supposed to be this past weekend, wasn't it? Is there anyone else? Uh, I mean, no. I mean, let's look, look, look at their schedule, and, and I'll tell you, you. Tell me if they uh, anybody has a prayer of beating them when I pull this up. Hell, you you tell me. If I got it. I got it. Keeping them within twenty. I got it. You ready? Charlotte. No. At UNC. No. Florida State on the road. No. At Louisville. No. No. Boston College. No. Wofford. No. At NC State. Not really. Not really. But yeah, that could get weird for a couple. Like, you know, you find yourself in a dogfight in the third quarter because they scored a couple times early. Wake Forest at home. No. And then South Carolina. They're going twelve and zero. Yeah, easy. And then they're going to win the ACC title game. 
Yeah. I didn't watch any of TCU Purdue. I was kind of interested in it. What happened there? Just I didn't watch much of it. Uh, TCU beat the dog out of them. I can tell you that. There's feel like there's one game that happened that I'm missing, but maybe not. Oh, if Kevin Sumlin. I'm, I'm missing it because there, there was a bunch of bad college football this weekend. There was. Another bad game was the late night game, but Khalil Tate looked like Khalil Tate. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't great. But he was he was okay. Like I, I think someone's still not a very good fit for that program right now. But he was at least more explosive again because that sucked. Because Richrod had him as one of the most fun players to watch in college football. And then last year, yeah, Cleo Tate got injured and stuff too. But like that was kind of depressing because it was like this guy's a spark, like spark plug, whatever cliche you want to use. And then it's like, oh wait, like this sucks. He's not good anymore. And then he looked at least more like it. Yeah, yeah, it was that was. That was. It was a big win for them, though. I mean, to, to, to win that football game uh, after kind of what happened in week one in, in Hawaii is, is a tough look. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was big for them to, to get that win. You want to get to some NFL? Sure. So, takeaways from week one. I watched pretty much every game yesterday because Sundays have basically divulged into me watching Red Zone for seven hours then watching the Sunday night game. The Chargers had 15 million chances to beat the Lions and screwed it up. They had a pick on the goal line. They had a fumble, no, fumble at the goal line, a pick in the red zone, and I think a couple missed field goals. That is a very, very Chargers loss. That's a big win for the Lions, though. I guess. I mean, I don't think they can make the playoffs, but it's... I think they're going to be better. I think that division's tough, but as bad as... Minnesota has looked when they play competent teams. I think the Lions could hang around in the playoff contention. I said that at the beginning of the year, so I'm going to continue to squat on that. I think defensively the Lions are better than I think people are giving them credit for for some of the moves they made this offseason. I think they'll hang around in the wild card race longer than people think. That is my bold prediction. Okay. I think Green Bay is going to win that division pretty easily. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think the Bears are. I think the Bears are fraud. I think well, I think the Bears have a really good defense, but I think Matt Nagy is using. I think Matt Nagy is doing very well, disguising a ton of Mitch Trubisky's or excuse me, Mitchell Trubisky's uh, limitations, and so I think they're wasting a pretty good defense on the fact that their offense has a lot of good pieces around it, but the quarterback is so limited that they're not producing. Yeah, I think that's certainly fair. Uh, that was a big win for them yesterday. Actually, if they lose that football game in zero and two, man. Woo. Uh, especially a loss to Denver. So that, that was a big win for them. Um, I kind of just uh, – Drew Brees, I hate that for him. Uh, he's going to be out a while. I don't I don't think that's going to be something where he returns in two weeks. That feels like a month and a half to two months off. I guess let's get to the call. Did it matter? Like, yeah, they, they screwed it up. Um, I get Saints fans being pissed. Did it matter, though? Los Angeles is going to win that football game. Yeah, I agree, but at that juncture, if it's 10-3, to 3, could the game go differently? Sure, I think the Rams end up getting it, but to me, it's more so... Look, I think Saints fans are kind of wusses in the sense that they think the NFL is out to get them and all that stuff, and it's like, look, man, watch the other 11 games, 12 games each week, and tell me that other teams don't have calls go against them. So, I, I, it, it's a little nauseating in that sense. But yesterday, I did feel a little bit bad for him because, man, that's egregious. 
they're literally taught yeah. to let the play keep going unless there's without a shadow of a doubt that it's incompletion. You're supposed to let the play go and then review it. There is no justification on this earth for them being able to to blow the whistle dead on that. That's just gross incompetence. And I've backed it. I've I've gotten into it with Haydad a million times on a radio show because he's a big official complainer and he doesn't offer any solutions. He's like, these guys are just awful and I want to complain about it. It's like, dude, they're the best in the world doing the best they can. That I can't defend. Like that's a, that's a that's egregious. I can't defend that. Yeah, no, it was it was it was extremely bad. I don't know how they're going to defend that. Uh, I mean, if you remember with the with call in the Rams game, they they just made a statement and forget it existed. Um, look, I mean, I, I, I'm a Falcons fan. I, I I don't really feel too bad for them, um, but it was egregious. I mean, just to put it lightly. So, um, and I get Saints fans, you know, paranoia with NFL refs. I mean, if I got screwed like that in the NFC title game. And then the the horrible you know clock management situation in the first week, um, and this, this call like at some point I would be like, is, is, are they out to get us? Because I mean that's three games in a row where they've made egregious calls that have frankly taken points off the board for your team. Yeah, and another thing with the Saints that people like no one really wants to point out is they didn't play really well in the Monday night game against the Texans, and so they're a very very lucky, fortunate clock thing. You know, a couple seconds with the Texans scoring too early from being zero and two, and deservedly zero and two. Yeah, no, so, uh, and I hate that for Breeze. I really, really do. So, uh, we'll see. I, you know, I don't know how good Teddy Bridgewater is going to be. I don't know what they're going to do from a backup perspective. Um, but it's going to be interesting because I, that, that division is wide open now. Besides uh, the Panthers, they can't win. Yeah, and we talked about on Thursday, Cam's broken from that sense. But that division's going to be interesting in that sense because I don't think Tampa Bay's very good, but they're like Bruce Arians is competent enough offensively to where that's going to be a, like they're going to be a frisky out in terms oh, yeah, of absolutely. like beating them on a week to week basis. As far like I guess we'll just kind of keep swinging around. The Bengals are awful. I, I guess Week One was a little bit of a farce in the sense that they beat. They beat the or no, excuse me. They lost very a close game at Seattle. That defense is one of the worst tackling defenses I've seen in a long time. I think the Forty ers are probably pretty good, but I hate I like and they played well offensively. But man, like some of the a couple of the touchdowns they scored running the football, it was a joke with the way the Bengals were playing defense. They stink. Yeah, Kurt, the Bengals are putrid. Uh, kind of just is what it is. They they went to Seattle and played well. Uh, the Steelers have got a chance to be awful, and Mike Tomlin has a chance to lose his job. Yeah, Big Ben's hurt. That elbow thing didn't necessarily look great. No. I don't know what that is or what the update is, but that didn't look great. Dante Moncrief's had a really tough start to the year. The the rumor is he's trying to play through a dislocated finger, and and that's good for him. Uh, But he's had a really, really bad two games uh, to the point that I wouldn't be shocked if he's looking for another team at some point then. Yeah, I would agree with that. I guess the, the... the finger thing makes it a little more complicated. I felt bad for Vic Fangio because they probably should have won that game. Uh, that roughing the passer call that against Bradley Chubb was an absolute joke. And I can't, they have to do something about that. I get wanting to protect the quarterback, but the body weight thing's ridiculous. You don't want the quarterback taking shots to the head and all that kind of stuff. But that, that's, that cost a team a game and it eventually cost somebody a job. 
I mean, that guy, that guy's still looking for his first NFL win because of basically an official. I agree. Um, I will say, look, I'm a big numbers guy, and I haven't dug a ton into this. I'm not a big fan of going for two and the win like they did with there's more than like 30 seconds left. I think you've got to score with like under 25 to 20 seconds left to justify going for two and the win because now you've given the Bears all the reason in the world to just go score a field goal, whereas if you kick the extra point, they take a knee and go to overtime. And I know that's hindsight a little bit, but I've always kind of been on that train. I don't understand going for two with ample time left. Yeah, no, I guess so. I'm with you. Part of me thinks that he knows Flacco's suck and needed to end the game right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I, I think it's that like may, I can't look at this anymore. No, I think that may have been part of it. He's like, holy, this is rough. Like, well, let's just end this right here. We might not get to the end zone again. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's tough. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is absurd. They, they slept they, yesterday. Yeah, they, they just left and won by 18. Yeah, they didn't like they they weren't very good for three quarters. They only scored in one quarter. They scored 28 points in the second quarter and didn't score anymore in the game. They didn't really have to. I think the Raiders actually are improved. I'm not sure how great they are offensively, but there's definitely more talent on the Raiders defense. But man, Mahomes just kind of woke up for like 15 minutes was like, "All right, I'm going to put this to bed and then just went back to sleep." And then they sat on it. Uh, that sucked for Gardner Minshew. I don't really get like huge rooting interest in many NFL like games as far as like rooting for teams other than I like the Titans, and that, that's a whole another frustrating thing in itself. But I was rooting really hard on that last drive for Minshew to punch that thing in, and they got so they go damn close. Two? I didn't get the watch. Yeah, they went for two and they didn't get it. But uh, Leonard Fournette was literally stopped like two inches short of the goal line uh, huh. on the go for two. How much time was left when they scored? Uh, like, like 25, 30 seconds. Yeah, I'd have probably gone for two there because that, that seems a little bit under 30 seconds. Um, he made some yeah, plays on that last drive. He scrambled on like a third or fourth and 14. Like, he made some plays. He looked okay. He 20, looked like you, he could play NFL football. 23 of 33 for 213 and a touchdown. That'll play. Against a pretty good defense. Yeah, against a really good defense. And his first NFL. Was too short, though. Yeah, I, I'm glad. I hope he gets you know a contract or two to be a backup or whatever and makes a nice career for himself. That's a pretty badass story. Man, look, there, there's some worse starting quarterbacks to put up numbers worse than that. Yeah, for sure. I was just kind of thinking in longevity. Like, I don't think he's a career-long starter in the NFL. But, man, Probably if he not. can make a decent living for seven to eight years, and that's a cool story. Uh, the Kelly's off suspension as of today. If the Colts don't sign him to the active roster, somebody gonna pick him up? Maybe. I mean, I think that somebody would at least give him a shot based off what he showed in the preseason. I mean, Nola needs the backup. I think Kyler Murray has shown enough that this might work. It's he's going yeah, to have a good yesterday. He's going to he's have a frustrating field goal. Yeah, he's going to have a frustrating year, and they're not going to be good this year, and they're going to suffer some tough losses. But I think he might be okay. Yeah, I like Kyle. He's fun to watch. Dak and the Red, uh, Dak and the Cowboys. Go, I they're go, good. Real quick, uh, this Lamar Jackson thing's real. Yeah, it is. I, yeah, I've totally missed the other side of that. He, he's good. He can throw the ball. That offense is dangerous. Um, they play the Chiefs next week. That's going to be oh, awesome. That'll be fun. Hell yeah, dude. That'll be awesome. Uh, yeah, he's good. He can throw, and he has a chip on his shoulder too because he's pissed off about all the running back and receiver comments. There's so many good AFC young quarterbacks right now. Uh, I think Mayfield's good. Deshaun Watson is good. I think Lamar Jackson is good. Pat Mahomes obviously is good. So that's good for the game. They've got a lot of good young quarterbacks that can play. Yep, and it's still dominated by a 42-year-old. 
<laughs> so, all right. That might be the worst NFL team I've ever seen, and I hate that for that that uh, Brian Flores, their coach, because yeah. he's he's basically just being cut off at the knees by management. Yep. Which sucks because like. Well, I mean, if you're gonna tank, you got to go all the way, right? Yeah, no, I, I got that, but man, we've never seen an NFL team openly tank to this degree. I don't yep. think. We have now because they got beat by 45 and 43 in the past two weeks. You just feel bad for the players on that roster, though, because yeah. it's not like baseball where a tanking team gives guys who otherwise wouldn't get shots to go out and play every day and stuff like that. Taking the physical beating each and every week to not even compete is mentally and physically demoralizing. Yeah, I mean, you're just playing to keep getting that direct deposit every week. Um, I don't feel like a lot of those guys will be with the Dolphins next year. No, uh the Giants are awful, and Josh Allen is okay. Yeah, I don't. I kind of. I don't like to say I believe in Josh Allen. I don't think he's horrible, though. Dude, there's some moments because he's mobile enough. Like his running is is. I think for a lot of reasons, height, whatever else you want to read into it, his ability to run was overshadowed. I think some when he was coming out, and he has a huge arm and makes some like I'm not. Like, when he gets out on the run, he makes some throws that it's like, oh, that kind of looked like a little bit like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously you're not comparing him to No, Dale, no, but, not at all. But, like, it's yeah. like, wow, that that was special. The Bills are 2-0 and with two road wins in MetLife Stadium. That would be kind of a weird feeling. They're 2-0 and yeah. and play two road games in the same building and, like, two hours away from where they played. That is kind of funny. Yeah, they, and they've not left the state. Yeah, I mean that's a good place to be, and Brady's winning that division. But they could be a little frisky. Uh, the Titans—they uh, made a wild card game two years ago. People forget that they did with Tyrod Taylor, and those fans went nuts. Um, <laughs> the Titans pissed down their leg. Yeah, they what had happened? every opportunity to win that game and just didn't. I heard AJ dropped a bad ball. Yeah, but they there was bad clock management on the final drive. They looked completely lost. They looked scared to take the training wheels off of Marcus Mariota, and it's like at this point, like, hey, man, it's year five. Like, I'm not saying – like, I, it's not all on the people coaching Mariota, and a lot of it's his health and some of it's on him, but, like, let him loose. He can either play or he can't. Like, there's no, like, wait and see anymore. It's time to figure out if he can play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I uh, thought they were winning that game yesterday, so – are the Titans one and one or zero and two now? No, one and one. They beat the brakes off of Cleveland in Week One. Dog out of Cleveland, yeah. And then that's pretty much all the games we had. Eagles Falcons last night. I will say this: I think the Falcons have potential to be pretty good if their defense holds up and stays healthy because there's enough pieces there offensively. Matt Ryan's got to be better decision making. But man, whenever you have Julio and Calvin Ridley, you got and Devontae Freeman, you got a chance. Look, the only thing that worries me is Atlanta dominated that football game last night and they had to score a touchdown yeah. with a minute and a half left to win and then hold Wentz out of the end zone uh, as he drove down to the 20. That's what would scare me to death. Yeah, no, I agree with that and that I think a lot of that is on Matt Ryan and a couple of the decisions he made throwing the ball. Oh, he was terrible. Yeah, I mean, he, he which is weird because he put, they were bad last year because they got so decimated by injuries, particularly on defense. He had a monster season last year that didn't really get talked about. It was, what, 35 touchdowns, 7 picks. Jesus. Yeah, and it never got talked about. He had an MVP caliber season last year, and they were just so bad it never got talked about. But I I think on the flip side of this, 
is I really love watching the Eagles play football because – and you mentioned some of this is on the Falcons. You said – I think part of this is the Eagles, man. They – that team had Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson – uh, Peters, their left tackle, all on the sidelines at some point. They were literally dropping like flies, and it literally took a fourth down stop by an inch to get them to die. And it's just, I think they embody whatever that coaching staff for the entire organization is because they went into Nick, shorthanded with Nick Foles last year in New Orleans and had to get stopped on the final drive to be too. Like, you can't kill that team. Yep, yep. And, and uh, you know, they win the, the playoff game in Chicago. Um, so that Doug Peterson's a really good football coach because uh, they were in position to win that game last night with about 35 players, it felt like. Yeah, if I were able to it was like switch NFL allegiances, which I'm not really strongly allegiance to the Titans, they're just close to here, I would love watching the Eagles play football on a week-in-to-week-out basis. That is a fun group to watch. Yep, I, I really enjoy I that. Agree. Like Wentz is really good if they could keep him healthy. But they had three top receivers standing on the sideline last night. On the final drive, their left tackle goes out, who's probably a future Hall of Famer. I don't think there's even a doubt. And they still just literally wouldn't die. I mean, that 4th and 14 was insane. Uh, the 4th down, or where, or I guess it was 3rd down, where Wentz threw the ball basically off his knee was insane. Like, they literally, you can't kill them. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, was, it was an impressive performance. I mean, that, look, they lost the football game. Um, they're probably not going to win that division. Dallas looks really good, but yeah, I mean, Doug, Doug Peterson's kind of just embodied that that or has that football team kind of just embodies him. Uh, they're they're not going to quit. They're not going to lie, lie down, <laughs> even with their top three receivers out. It was nuts to watch last night, to be honest. That is going to be a fun two horse race in that division, though, because Washington is bad and it's over for the Giants. Like you just, yeah, they're both terrific. You let Daniel Jones play in a couple weeks, and then you just kind of go from there. And that's probably it for Eli Manning. But whatever, he had a good career. I wonder how much damage the last four or five years has done to his legacy in terms of how people yeah. remember him. But yeah, that that's pretty much it. That's about all we had in the NFL. We've got Browns uh, versus Mono tonight. And that should be an interesting game. Brown's got to win that. Backup quarterback playing like they're 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 toast if they lose that. I don't think yeah, they that's will. That's problem. To lose that one. I don't think they will. So that's about all I got. I don't think anything else really interesting happened this weekend. Uh, I didn't really do a whole lot. I went worked the game and watched a lot of football. So it was nice. But yeah, it's a good life. Yeah, not not complaining by any stretch, but but certainly not not eventful by any means either. Uh, yeah. I, you got anything else? I'm about to go to this press conference. We'll kind of figure yeah. out. No, ask, ask Matt some good questions. I will. I think Ole Miss came out okay injury-wise in that game. Um, so I, I, not a whole lot of breaking news there. Big week. We'll probably have a Cal. So I'll find someone from Cal to have on for Wednesday. I will probably have a Tuesday podcast out that you can find on our pod, me and Collins podcast forum. It will be a golf-related podcast. We are covering the Sanderson Farms Championship this week. That is Jackson, Mississippi's PGA Tour event. We are, uh, we are we will have a radio show there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, come out and see us. But I will probably have a golf-related podcast tomorrow about that. So you'll be able to – it will have nothing to do with Ole Miss, but you'll be able to catch that on this, like, podcast, like, like outlet channel, yeah. whatever you want to call it, like, just because I don't have any other place to put it. So be looking for that if you're interested in golf. I think I might have Braden Thornberry and maybe Will Bardwell on. So – be looking for that, and then Colin and I will be back on Wednesday. So, unless you got anything else, I'm getting out of here. Sounds good. All right. Well, for Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We will be back at it on Wednesday. Like and subscribe to the podcast 
Oh, our guy. I think our guy that, that the Bumble guy may have deleted his review, which is a damn shame. Oh, man. Yeah, someone pointed that out over the weekend. I was telling a buddy about that, and then he went and looked for it, and he couldn't find it. And then I went on there, because I don't look at our reviews very often, but I was like, oh, it is gone. So, bummer. Oh, man, why do we do that? <laughs> bummer. Please come back to us, Bumble guy. Anyway, like and subscribe. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.